Our text for this morning's message will be Exodus chapter 6. Exodus chapter 6. We're going to read verse 1 down through verse 8. Exodus chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, the Bible says, Then the Lord said unto Moses, Now shalt thou see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand shall he let them go, and with a strong hand shall he drive them out of his land. And God spake unto Moses and said unto him, I am the Lord. And I appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob by the name of God Almighty. But by my name Jehovah was I not known to them. And I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage, wherein they were strangers. And I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians keep in bondage. And I have remembered my covenant. Wherefore, say unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will rid you out of their bondage, and I will redeem you with a stretched out arm and with great judgments. And I will take you to me for a people. And I will be to you a God, and ye shall know that I am the Lord your God, which bringeth you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will bring you into the land concerning the which I did swear to give it to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And I will give it to you for an, inherit- for an heritage. I am the Lord. Let's bow our heads if you would. Father, we bow before you in awe of your greatness and your grace and your mercy and just who you are and all that you have done for us. I pray now for these next moments that we are together that you would open our hearts and our minds and remove the distractions that would take our attention away from the, the great purpose that you have for us, Lord. Help that purpose to, to be clear to us, to ring into our hearts and to motivate our actions, Lord, and, and uh, that we would just be a, a shining light to those around about us. Do the work that you can only do through your Spirit just now, Lord. Break down walls and draw hearts to yourself, Lord. And convict where you see the need. And and just help me to simply be a a voice for the Scriptures, Lord. And let them speak louder than me. I ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So today we take our next step in our, our series where we're laying out our vision for 2020. And uh, this is two of three messages where we're going to kind of lay that out. If you remember, the theme is real Christianity, real Christianity. And I don't know if you've had time to maybe think about that or kind of let that settle in your mind. And I hope to really begin to unpack that this morning, what it means to be a real Christian. Last week, we spent time looking at the fact that God is real. This week... The title of the message is God's Purpose for You is Real. God's Purpose for You is Real. Last week I wanted to lay the foundation of who God is. That He is mighty and that He is awesome. This is not something we make up and all that we read in the Scripture is true. God exists. His ability is beyond anything that we can imagine. He is the great I Am. And all of this is very much real. That has to be in place first. We have to have this rock-solid foundation under our feet that we believe who God is and what God says in His Word. And that He is the I Am. We know these things personally. I want you to just look at a phrase in verse 3 very quickly. Actually, verse 2 and verse 3. God spake unto Moses and said unto him, I am the Lord. He's repeating his name there. There's some words added for translation, but he's saying his name again. Don't forget, I am. And this is after some things have happened. Moses has gone into Pharaoh and Pharaoh rejected. Pharaoh says, get out of here. I don't know who the Lord is. Why should I let him go? Just because you say your God says so. I do not know the Lord, so get out of here. In fact, I'm going to make everything worse for you. So it kind of got worse And so Moses comes back to God and says, hey, what's going on? And God gives him a reminder. (laughs) Don't forget who I am. In fact, I am. I am the Lord. 
Verse 3, And I appeared unto Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob by the name of God Almighty. That in Hebrew is El Shaddai. Maybe you've heard that phrase before. There's a wonderful praise song that's written with those words too. God is the Almighty One, the great and powerful One. But he says in the end of verse 3, But by my name, by my personal name, Yahweh, was I not known unto them. Moses and now the children of Israel knew God on a deeper level than before. God had revealed more of Himself and he's, He would do so as time goes along. Let me just pull a simple principle out of that. The world may know some about God. They may know of His existence or they may know some little things. Some people in religious circles may even know Him in a shallow way or maybe even in a, to some more depth. We, as God's people, know the great I Am personally. We know His name. We know His character. We call Him Father. That means something for your life. You know God in a personal way. That is important, not just because of what it means for you and me, but what it means for everyone around us. The fact that you know God personally means something for the people in your life. The fact that we here are people of the great I Am, we are part of His body, that means something for the community, doesn't it? And here's why. We live in what can be called a post-biblical society. That might sound like some confusing words, I don't think it is, but... You have an operation, you go in for a post-op appointment, right? Something that happens after the operation. We live in a post-biblical society. A society that is after biblical influence. It used to be a time in the not-so-distant past that you could assume people you would meet on the streets had some form of biblical literacy, had some form of biblical knowledge. People knew the Bible, some more and some less to be sure, but people in society knew the Bible. They knew about the Bible. They knew the stories. It used to be you could ask a child, how did the animals get on the ark? Who was Abraham's son? Who was Abraham's grandson? How long was Jonah in the fish? And they would answer. <laughs> Maybe some of you this morning are kind of racking your brains trying to figure out those answers. <laughs> but it used to be people knew. They were familiar with foundational principles like heaven and hell, God and Satan, Jesus and the cross. They knew why it was important to go to church. They knew why it was important to live right. And it used to be, in a time in the not-so-distant past, that people lived according to biblical morality. Some more and some less, yes. But it was there. Why? Because it, the Bible was woven into society because it was in people's hearts. It was in the hearts of the people that made up that society. It was in the hearts of those who governed and made legislation and passed laws. It was in the hearts of those who enforced the laws. That time is no more. That time is no more. Do you understand, there are generations around us that have grown up without the Bible. They have grown up without the Bible in any form. All of this is totally foreign to them. They couldn't tell you where Genesis is or Matthew. They have no idea who Noah is or Abraham, they have no idea why we go to church on a Sunday. Maybe they've heard of God and Jesus, but probably through social media or media in general, and all of that tells them it's not real. What I'm saying is we cannot assume that the world knows what we do about God. We cannot assume the world knows God at all. We can't go into the world expecting them to know this. 
we have to start at square one. And sometimes the church hasn't helped all that much. Biblical, illiter biblical illiteracy, not reading the Bible, that runs through our own ranks. We have kids in our own churches growing up without this in the home. It's only on Sunday mornings that they hear it. They don't hear it at the dinner table. They don't hear it in the car rides. Their only exposure to this is on Sundays. That doesn't build a foundation in them. And even the trend in churches in general has been, in my opinion, wrong. The focus has been more on trying to take less of this out, more of this out of the pulpit, have less of it, and try to give a more relevant or practical messages. There's a reason we preach the Word. Because the Bible is relevant. The Bible teaches us. You don't think so? How would you do in Moses' position? 1.2 million people in slavery to the ruler of the world. And God says, you go tell him, hey, you, let my people go. How are you going to handle that? It's called faith. And we learn by their examples. What if you were Noah? Hey, build a boat. What's a boat? Build this, and I'm going to make it rain. What's rain? There hasn't been any rain on the earth yet. In fact, I'm going to make it rain so much that all of life is wiped out, and I want you to preach to them while you build this boat. How do you do that? Faith. We learn through their circumstances, and it teaches us how to handle the very small circumstances in our lives. But that is missing. People now are more likely to know or to quote or to follow some famous preacher or some famous author or some famous podcast rather than the very Word of God. Now, does any of that change the truth? Does any of that change the Word of God? No. Does any of that change the purpose of God that He has for man? Because He does, and we'll... We'll look at that in a minute. Does that change any of that? No. On one hand, we have the reality of God and His truth. And on the other hand, we have a world who knows nothing about the Bible. How do the two connect? What is the link? It's us. It's us. We who know God... We who know who He is, we who know His truth, are the link to the world who doesn't know God. God needs to be seen and heard through us as we live, listen, as real Christians. We believe in the truth of the Word. We believe in the great I Am. We know about His covenants. We know about all the promises, all of the things that He would Ask us to do in Scripture. Do we live that reality in our everyday lives so that the world can see? Not as imitations, but as genuine. That's what I want to focus on today. And hopefully today we kind of start bringing it home. Why this impacts our lives. I want to clarify that. See, there's, there's more, than, more to it than just believing the truth that we do. And we have some precious truth. There's more to it. Yes, this is real. Yes, the Bible is real. Yes, the promises and salvation and baptism and church and all of that is real. But there's a flip side to this real Christianity thing. It's you and me and our place in it. It's you and me being a real Christian. Living out what we believe. See, God is not some impersonal force in the sky that's far off and unknowable and uninvolved. No. Not only is He real, but He has given us a purpose. One that is known and made clear in His Word. Now, when I say purpose, let me just give you a definition so, so we're all on the same page. Purpose is defined as this. The reason for which something is done or created the reason for which something exists. 
Understand that? The reason for which something's created, the reason why it exists. It also is defined as this, one's intention or objective. We are created for a reason. God intends something for us. And as we are, excuse me, are we as a church here going to live that purpose for us? Are we going to be, bring, oh, oh man, I'm having trouble today. Are we going to be the link that brings this into real life? <laughs> Do we live as everything that we believe is real? Not only as a church, but as indi- individuals, or are we just kind of passing time? Letting generations of people go on not knowing the Bible. Letting generations of people around us go on their way to eternal damnation. Or is there more that is expected of us and more that we are created for and more that God intends for us rather than to just go about our existence? So I want to look at that from a couple different angles that we'll consider this morning. First thing I'd like you to think of is the big picture of God's purpose. The big picture of God's purpose. Look in our text at verse 6. Wherefore say unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will rid you from their bondage. I will redeem you with a stretched out arm and with great judgments. And I will take you to me for a people, and I will be to you a God, and ye shall know that I am the Lord your God, which bringeth you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will bring you into the land concerning the which I did swear to give it to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and I will give it to you for a heritage. I am the Lord. You see that big picture purpose? I'm going to bring you out of bondage. I'm going to bring you to me to be a people, and I'm going to take you to the promised land. That's the big picture purpose God has here. Not only am I, not only am I who I am, I am the great I am, but I'm going to do something for you. I'm going to bring you out, bring you to me, and fulfill my promises. I have a plan for you. And listen, God did exactly that. I would love to take the time this morning and simply read the book of Exodus. If you don't get a chance, it's awesome. It's amazing the way that God works. I don't have time, and we'll come back to this in, in, in future messages, but He does exactly what He says. He brings them out in a mighty way. That's what Exodus is about. That's what the book is about. God brings them out of Egypt. He does so through great signs and great wonders. The ten plagues and all the things that He does through Moses and through Aaron. The greatest of those signs being the Passover. He brings them out, brings them through the Red Sea. And through the Red Sea, He cuts them off from Egypt, brings them back to the mountain where they worship Him, just like He said in chapter 3. Just like He says right here. He gives them the Ten Commandments. They go through the wilderness journeys and ultimately end up in the Promised Land. There's no mistaking that in Scripture. God did exactly what He said. Cool story, bro. What's that have to do with me? Yeah, okay, that's Old Testament, man. (laughs) That has everything to do with you. That has everything to do with me. Because His purpose for them is His purpose for you and His purpose for me. There's so many of what we call types in the Exodus account. It's shadows of what comes in the New Testament. Pictures of what is going to come in the New Testament. All of these things that, are, that, are, that happen and that are shown are fully and finally fulfilled in Christ when He comes. I don't have time to explain, but I know you're familiar with this. Let me just say it plainly. First of all, this actually happened. Israel was actually enslaved to Egypt. God actually brought them out through ten actual plagues, and all that He did actually happened. But it's a foreshadow of what is to come. Egypt is a type of the world. If you notice in Scripture when you read it, you always go down to Egypt. You always go up to Jerusalem and you always go down to Egypt. 
And it's a place of bondage. It's a, it's a bad place. Well, it's a representation of the world. Looking at it with spiritual eyes, we see the type. Egypt is the world, the domain of Satan and, and sin, and we are born into bondage to our own sin and the power of Satan. It's exactly what Paul says in Ephesians 2. You were dead in trespasses and sins, where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath even as others. We are born into bondage to sin to Satan, to this world. We cannot deliver ourselves and God wants to bring you out of that. Didn't He promise that here? In verse 6, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rid you out of their bondage. I will redeem you with a stretched out arm and with great judgments. God wants to bring us out from bondage to the world and our own sin. Well, He did that in Exodus, ultimately through what is called the Passover. You remember that account? We have the ten plagues and these great and wonderful signs happen, but the tenth one is different. They were to take a lamb, to slay it, and to put the blood on the doorpost. And the thing that the Lord says is, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. If you applied the blood to your to house, death didn't come in. And those who did not apply the blood, well, they lost their firstborn son. They lost their firstborn cattle. They lost everything that was firstborn in the house. But if you were, were faithful and you followed the instruction of the Lord and applied the blood, the angel of death passed over. That's a perfect picture of what is to come. All of that is a picture and a type of Christ. He is the Lamb of God, John says, right? Behold the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. He is the Passover sacrifice for our sins. In fact, Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 5. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Christ is the Lamb that bears our sins. His blood is shed, so death would pass from us. Hebrews chapter 9 makes it very clear. Here's what it says. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by His own blood, He entered once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Christ, by the sacrifice of His blood, by His death on the cross, has obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? It's His blood that cleanses us. It's His blood that redeems us from our own sin, from the bondage that we are in. In fact, John 3 says, For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Christ is the sacrifice for our sins. He is the way we are redeemed out of the world. That's step one. And if you don't know Jesus as Savior, that's the thing that you need to know this morning. Has His blood been applied to your heart by faith? Have you trusted in Him that He took your sin to the cross and He gave His life for your eternal redemption? Have you trusted in Him and cried out to Him to save you? You don't get to the mountain of God without that. You don't get to God's presence. You don't get to the promised land. You don't even get to the Red Sea without Christ. It's salvation first. And if you don't know that this morning, oh, I pray that you would trust in Him and place your faith in Him. God brings them out through the Passover. He brings them through the Red Sea. And that is a clear picture of baptism. Paul connects the dots for us in 1 Corinthians 10. 
Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses into the cloud and in the sea. It's a picture of what we're supposed to do after salvation. That's where we put off the old man. Israel came through the Red Sea and through that they were cut off from Egypt. They couldn't go back there anymore. They're their own nation now with a a purpose to follow God. That's what baptism does for us. Romans 6 says we're raised to walk in newness of life. We're dead to sin that we should no longer live therein. We sever ourselves from our past life and we're living as gods now. And we follow Him. and We keep His commandments as part of His people, following His leading, expecting His blessings, expecting Him to take us to the promised land. Look in verse 4 of our text. Verse 4 and verse 5. I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage, wherein they were strangers. And I have heard the groaning of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians keep in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant. You see, God has promised some things to those who are faithful. He's talking here about Abraham, and He promised Abraham, if you follow Me, I will bless you. If you are faithful to me, you will experience my blessings. This was passed on to Isaac. This was passed on to Jacob. This was passed on to the children of Israel as well. And beloved, today we serve in the same promise. If we faithfully follow God, He will bless us. You want to know the blessings of God? You follow Him and you be faithful to Him. And God here is reminding them, I haven't forgotten. And let me just say this this morning. God has not forgotten His covenants. God has not forgotten His promises. In fact, He's going to keep them. Look, they're in Egypt. They don't know what a promised land is. But what does God say to them while they're in Egypt? (laughs) I haven't forgotten. I'm going to take you where I said I would. And He does exactly that, right? And listen, maybe this morning we need to be reminded we're in the world and we're living in this this crazy time. We talk about heaven and the the promises and the rewards that God has promised. Sometimes it's hard to see. Maybe we need to be reminded, hey, I haven't forgotten. I'm going to take you there. Just follow me. I want you to fast forward to Exodus chapter 19. Is everyone with me? Is this making sense? We see, we see there's a big picture plan here. Salvation, baptism, calling us to Himself. I want to fast forward to Exodus chapter 19. Some of the most awesome chapters in the Bible. If, if I could be at a place in Scripture, Mount Sinai is one of them. God comes down on a mountain. And the mountain's on fire and they can all of Israel can hear the voice of God. And oh man, Moses gets to go up in God's presence. I believe it's the Father, like unlike any other time ever. He gets to see, Moses gets to see the back part of the glory of God. He doesn't get to see, see him because he can't, he'll die. <laughs> but he gets to see a piece of God so much that his face is like shining because God is so glorious. Oh man, I would love to have been here. And some of the best things in Scripture are said here. I want you to see it. Exodus 19, verse 1. In the third month, when the children of Israel were gone forth out of the land of Egypt, the same day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. For they were departed from Rephidim and were come to the desert of Sinai, and they pitched in the wilderness, and there Israel camped before the mount. And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, Ye have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bear you on eagles' wings, and brought you unto myself. Now therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed, and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people. For all the earth is mine, and ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. That's an amazing promise. 
They are brought out of Egypt through the Red Sea to the presence of God. And he says, you know what? You're going to be a special people to me. I've brought you to myself. I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. And you know what? You're going to keep my covenant. You're going to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Beloved, it's the same with us today. That's what God wants. To bring us out of the world by salvation. To to cut that old life off through baptism into His church. To come into His presence and to be His people. We don't come to a mountain, although that would be awesome. We don't come to a mountain, a literal mountain that we can see with our eyes. Hebrews 12 puts, us this, puts it this way. For you are not come to the mount that might be touched, but you are come to the mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels. Listen, to the general assembly in the church of the firstborn. We come to the presence of God when we come here. As amazing as it would be to see that with our own eyes, when we come here and we meet together, we are in the presence of God. And we are to be His people keeping His covenants. We've been brought out of this world. The old life is put to death. And we worship in His presence as His body. Listen, that's the big picture. And that's the plan for each and every one of you. You understand that? That is God's purpose, in fact, for all of mankind. That's why we are here. That's why man has been created to come back into a relationship with God, to be saved, to follow Him in baptism, and to live our life with Him on the way to eternity. Plain and simple, that's it. That is God's purpose, and it is real. It is genuine. It is not made up. God lays that out here in types in His Word and He lays it out plainly in the New Testament. That is God's purpose, even if someone doesn't know it. You understand, the world may have no idea. That doesn't change the truth. You know the truth. I know the truth. Do we tell it? We know the verses that say God wants all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. We know the verses that say come to me all ye ends of the earth and be saved. We know how the Scriptures talk that He wants communion and fellowship and restoration with us. To free us from the bondage of sin and death and to call us to Himself. And we are to be His people sharing this same message with all the world around us so that they may know Him too. You see, we're here to share. We're not here to sit here and be quiet and keep it in. We're here to share. That's the commission we've been given, right? What did Jesus tell His church? Go and make disciples. And baptize them and teach them and do it again and again and again. Not to sit back and pontificate about how bad the age is. Oh, kids these days. Oh, politics these days. That does no good. Get out and tell someone about Jesus. Get out and tell them what God's purpose for them is. Because this gospel is for the world. And we need to reach out with it to as many as possible. I wonder as we hear these things and as even as we've experienced them in our own hearts, is it real to us? Let me read you what Paul says to the church at Thessalonica. Is, is all this real or is it just something we do? Listen, here's what Paul says. We give thanks to God always for you. We make mention of you in our prayers. Remembering your work of faith and your labor of love and patience in the hope of our Lord Jesus Christ and in the sight of God our Father, knowing, brethren, your election of God. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power. Paul says, you saw it in us. We lived it in front of you. And in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance. And you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us. You're doing the same thing you saw in us. You know those people in your life where you saw the gospel 
as real. Maybe it's your parents. Maybe it was your grandparents. Maybe it was those faithful older members of the church. Like, when they talked, you knew something was different. Or you knew it was real to them. Because they talked about God in a way that you knew they knew Him. And the way that they would talk to you and what they would talk to you about, it was, it left a mark on your soul, right? Paul and Silas and Timothy, that's who's writing this, they dealt with the, the believers there at Thessalonica in the same way. And you know what that church did? They acted the very same way to those around you. You became followers of us. So that, listen, you were examples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God is spread spread abroad, so we don't need to speak anything. (laughs) For they themselves show of us what manner of entering we in. Entering in, we had to you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. This was real to them, and it was being spread. That's the question I have. Is this real to us? Because if it is, it's going to go out from us. It's going to be lived out. That's why we outreach to the community, right? That's why we seek to outreach. We do Things on a larger scale like drive-through prayers or the extravaganza or the Halloween night or even door knocking. We're trying to get the word out in a large way, right? In a mass way where we're trying to touch individual hearts, but we want to get the word out there. Or we're doing it in smaller, more focused ways. Small groups or Bible studies, the Bible study in the rest home, and we're reaching out to public service men and women, hoping to establish a relationship and allow Bible studies in the firehouse and in the sheriff's station and other places. And I'm, I, I'm, I'm pleased with the direction that we're heading. I think we need to keep doing that. I might ask some of you to take the lead in that. Whatever it is, that needs to continue. And that needs to grow because that is why we are here. To make disciples, not to simply exist. That's the big picture. God wants to bring us out of the world, to bring us to Himself and to to walk with Him. And we as His people are to spread that message to everyone around and try to get as many people to know about God. We are here to tell the world who does not know God about God that He is real, and that He has a real purpose for us. And all I'm saying this morning is perhaps we have, maybe we should stop looking for people who know and look for those who don't know. Get a little bit uncomfortable with some people that aren't like us, who need the Gospel. Oh, Jesus would make us so uncomfortable. Do you know who that is? In fact, the disciples said that. You know what kind of woman that is? Lord, what are we doing? (laughs) Pharisees said that. Disciples said that. What did Jesus say? Come to seek and save that which is lost. Maybe we ought to start looking for some people who don't know God. But that's not just a corporate responsibility. It's all of us together. See, there's a big picture and there's a small picture. There's a small picture. Let me just put that simply. That's you and that's me and our place in it. Does your life, does my life, by our witness and our actions and our words and our desires, do they show a clear picture of the purpose of God? You're in Exodus 19, right? If not, turn there. I want eyes on a Bible. I want you to see this. You're at Exodus 19. If you're inclined to write in the margins of your Bible, I'd write this passage and then turn there. 1 Peter 2, 9. 1 Peter 2, 9. Maybe you should write that down right there in Exodus and then turn over there with me. First Peter 2 and verse 9. says here, as Peter is writing to the church, 
But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Sound familiar? He's taking the promise that was given to Israel, God's people, at the Mount Sinai and saying, hey, that is still the case for you today. That's the case for His people, the church. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. Listen, that ye should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light which in time past were not a people of God, but now are the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conversation, your lifestyle, honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Do you see that? We are to shine as a light in the dark world. We in our own lives are to show forth His praises. You are the living link to the truth of God and those who do not know Him. You are the light to the dark people in your world. Do you understand that? Our individual witness is so important. There are people that you know that I will never meet. I may know them through prayer requests or things that you might talk about, but you come in contact with people I may never meet. You are the light of the world to them in their world. In fact, most often that's how the connection is made. That's how the gospel becomes real to someone because they see it in you or they see it in me. How you talk. How are you going to be throwing F-bombs every other word and say you're a Christian? How are you going to use the Lord's name in vain and say, hey, come to church? What do you think that's going to do? (laughs) You're a Christian and you talk like that? How you live? I have, to, I, have to, I have to say, we can't be getting high one day and then church the next and think everything's okay. That's the day we live in now. My grandpa, I, I quote him all the time, says when he got saved, he quit drinking. Quote, there's just some things Christians don't do. I love that. That day's gone again. Maybe we ought to start turning up the light in our lives and show some people God rather than trying to be more like them. Let's be less like them. Let's stick out like a sore thumb so they ask, hey, what's different about you? God is, and He has brought me out of this world and I know Him as my Father and He wants the same for you too. How we talk, how we live, what we live for, how joyful, how even we handle the hard times. The way that we love others, the way that we treat others. A real Christian is an unmistakable lighthouse. Are you a real Christian? Am I a real Christian? Oh, they'll know when we fake it. There ain't no fake it till you make it with God. Absolutely not. You'll fake it right your way into hell. It's only by the blood of Christ that we are saved. It's only by His Scripture and His truth that we come into that relationship. And it's only by living His way the best that we can. We try to fake it. Somebody will smell it out. They'll smell a fake a mile away. How about we don't do that? Because I think we all can at some point. How about we don't do that? How about this year we turn up the light a little more? How about I let God be seen in me? And we live as real Christians, practicing and living real Christianity. You know what that looks like or what needs to change in your own life as I do in mine. We all have different areas we fail, right? 
I'm just saying maybe we've been too distracted, messing around with other things, or maybe there's even sin in our own hearts or in our own lives, or maybe we've even hurt our witness in the way we've acted. Do you know how you handle your own failures, even with people outside of the knowledge of God, is, can be a great witness? Do you know what it would be like if you went to somebody and said, Hey, I'm sorry for the way I've been talking. I'm sorry for the way I've acted. You know, I really shouldn't be doing that. I'm supposed to be a better example. You know what kind of a, a witness that can have to somebody that you care about that? You know what it looks like in your life. I know what it looks like in my life. Maybe it's time for me to start getting real. We need to live it. So that leads to the last point. It's just a question, really. We got the big picture of God's plan, the small picture of how it works in our life. Are you in the picture? Are we following His purpose? You know what God wants and His purpose for you in your life. Are you following that? Am I following that? There is a reason you have been saved. His intention in bringing you unto Himself. You know His commands and that they are not suggestions. God has a purpose for you. Are you in it? God tells Moses over and over and over in Exodus, Go, go, go. You go tell Pharaoh. You go tell my people. You go. And this morning He's telling you too. You go to those people in your life that don't know Him and you tell them. Go make disciples. Now Moses had a bunch of excuses, especially in chapter 3 and 4. We don't have time to go there, but he said, well, Lord, I'll go tell them, but I don't know if they'll believe me. Okay, fine. Here, take a rod. It'll turn into a snake. Stick your hand in your coat. It becomes leprous and pour some water out. It becomes blood. They'll believe. Well, uh, uh, okay, uh, but I can't really talk that well. You know, you know, I've got this stutter. and Can't you send somebody else, God? Finally, God gets ticked off and says in Exodus 4, Who made man's mouth? Who makes the dumb or the deaf or the seeing or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go and I will be with thy mouth and I will teach thee what thou shalt say. And the thing is, Moses didn't have a stuttering problem. He was uniquely gifted to do exactly what God called him to do. He was perfectly suited for it, more so than anyone else. In fact, Stephen says in the book of Acts, Moses was very eloquent and well-learned in the ways of the Egyptians. Nobody could have stood in the space that Moses did. Beloved, so are you in your life. Do you know I can't interact with people like you do in your life? You can, though. You have those relationships that have been built up. They know you. They know your manner of life. And you know what? You are perfectly suited to do what God has called you to do in your life. See, the problem is in our abilities, our willingness. Maybe we're too scared. Maybe we're just uninterested. Or maybe there's bitterness and rebellious and sin, whatever. Whatever it is, maybe we need to check our own heart because there's a call God has for us. You are uniquely gifted just the way Moses was Gifted, And maybe you've got some excuses this morning, but God had prepared him for this and he has prepared you for what he wants you to do in your life. You are specially suited to reach those around you. And then again, the question is, will you? <laughs> will we? Will we do that? I mean, is this real to us? Eternity, forever and ever and ever. Number one, in heaven. Number two, in rewards that He has promised those who are faithful to Him. Or does the checkbook or the possession or the circumstance right here and right now uh, command all of our attention? Or do we look past it? (laughs) See, there's a purpose. That's real. This stuff here will fade. That's real. And God has called me to that. And God will use me to call others to it. Will you show forth how God has changed your life? That's the question this morning. That's the point, I guess. Are we living this? Do people see this in us? That we serve a very real God and we live a life that is real with a purpose that is real? Because they really need to hear that from you. 
you have some people in your life that need to hear the gospel before their eyes close in death and they spend eternity in hell. Maybe that will help to help you in this. Your friends, the people you'll see at school tomorrow or at work tomorrow, think about their eternity. That if they do not know Christ, if they have not been forgiven in the free pardon of sin by placing their faith in Him, and their eyes close in death, they will be separated from God in torment forever and ever. Let that reality sink down into your heart and you know who can save them. And you know that God wants to save them. That He loves us so much He gave us His Son. Is that truth real to people who don't know God? And are you going to be the link that brings it together? This is not just true on a Sunday morning for an hour. It's true every day and every minute, and it will be true forever. We know who God is. Are we living as a real Christian? How shall they hear without a preacher? That's what Romans 10 says. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. People hear this, whether you quote it or whether you read it or whether you tell them what it says. They hear, and what happens? It brings faith as the Spirit illumines eyes and opens hearts as only God can do. But how will they hear it if we never tell them? If I never tell them, how can, we as, how can we as God's people have a real and lasting impact by being a real Christian? Let me just end with this verse. Matthew 5.16 says, Let your light so shine before men that they, might, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Maybe that's a good verse to have for the theme this year. Not only as a church. I want God to be seen as, in us as a church but I want God to be seen in me too. There's a big picture, God's plan for all of man. There's a small picture as we live that out in our lives. Maybe we need to get in the picture. Maybe that for you is salvation this morning and you need to trust in the Lord and ask forgiveness of your sins or maybe you need to be baptized and become part of His church or maybe we just need to live it a little more real. But can I say that without sounding silly? Let's get real. Maybe it's time we did. Maybe it's time I did. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for Your love and Your truth and Your call to us and the purpose that You have, Lord. I pray the words that have been spoken, the Scriptures that have been read will will ring in our hearts. Use them, Lord, to to draw, to convict, to strengthen whatever the need is, as only You can do. Lord, if there's one who's lost and do not know You as Savior, Lord, that You would draw them. And Lord, those of us who do know You, that You would draw us closer to Yourself, that we might be a, a special people, one that will show forth Your praises and how You've called us from darkness into Your wonderful light. Give us the strength to do that to do that and work in us, Lord. I I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.